Hello, 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 UFC fans. And uh, as legendary uh, ringside announcer Bruce Buffer would say, it's time for a UFC 275 edition of the Big Beat Podcast. But before I bring in today's special guest, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page where you can see this video. Got a whole bunch of content coming the next week or so, so I can't wait to tell you. Also, check out the Big Beat Podcast, Spotify, and Apple. So just as he was for the last UFC pay-per-view, my friend uh, Billy Ward is joining us from Michigan. And uh, Billy, uh, you ready for UFC 275 in uh, Singapore this weekend? Yeah, I'm super excited for this one. I'm not sure if I mentioned it last time. I qualified for the DraftKings Fantasy World Championship, and this is round one of the finals. So it's basically a cash game. We got 70 people that qualified, 30 of those get through to the next round. And I could not be more excited for this one. A lot on the line for me. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But uh, at 205 pounds, the main event of the evening is the light heavyweight championship between uh, Grover, Teixeira, and uh, let me see my poll, and Yuri Prozaka. Prohaska. Prohaska. Prozaska. I don't know, something like that. I'm not perfect on it, but. I'm not either. My Czech, Repu- my Czech Republic skills should be better. But uh, anyway, uh, Rover won, Glover won the uh, light heavyweight belt uh, last year and uh, became the oldest UFC fighter to finally win a championship belt and is fighting at 42 in Yuri. Is one of these young up and comers, third UFC bout, but brings a lot of potential, a lot of skill. What do you see in the main event on Saturday night? Yeah, it's an interesting one because if you would have asked me this about Glover's last fight, I would have said he's probably just a little bit too old and the game's passed him by. And I probably would have said that two or three fights before that, too. <laughs> but yet here we are with him as the champion and on a win streak. But, you know, I'm going to go back to the well. I just think Yuri's going to be too much for him. He's big. He's fast. He's athletic. He hits like a truck. You know, could Glover catch him in a submission at some point? Probably. But I think Yuri's going to be able to keep the range. He's got four inches in reach. He's an inch taller. I think he's going to be able to keep the range and hit him. I think he's going to be a lot faster. And if Glover takes a bad shot or tries to dive in and make it a grappling match, that's when he gets knocked out. I've got Yuri by knockout is probably the likeliest way this one goes, especially for five rounds. As long as he can survive on the ground, he gets stood back up four different times. So that'll give him another few chances to land big shots. Are you worried about Yuri's lack of experience? Because Globe has been there many, many times. He's fought the big guys. He's fought, he fought John Bones Jones. He fought Rashad Evans. He fought Gustafs and he fought everything, everybody the UFC can throw at him. Well, this is Yuri's only third UFC fight. Yeah, he's the hot newcomer from Czech, the Czech Republic. But is this a little early or is Yuri going into the prime of his fighting career and ready to take that next step? I mean, we can debate whether it's early in terms of like whether he deserves it or not, but in terms of his ability and being ready, yeah, I mean, the guy opened as a minus 200 favorite. He clearly deserves to be here. If you look at his pre-UFC career, he was fighting guys who had success in the UFC. He knocked out King Mo. He knocked out CB Dalloway. Like, he's been fighting high-level guys, and he has over 30 pro MMA fights. So it's not like this is his third 
fight. This is just his third fight under the UFC banner. And, you know, once John Jones kind of left the division, there's a big void at the top there. And it's, you know, it's time for another younger, not that he's super young at 29, but another younger fighter to step in and, you know, maybe have a run as a long reigning champion like we saw with John Jones or some of the fighters before him. I do think it's interesting because Yuri's this hot upcomer and it's rare you see a UFC champion as a as a plus 200 as a as plus a 170 dog, or so. Plus 170 yeah. dog in a championship fight. Of course, but it's also rare that we see a 42-year-old who's defending his title for the first time. So, we're rewriting a lot of rules here with this one, you know. There's not a lot of precedent for guy finally wins the title and is 40s and now is defending against a much younger probably in his prime fighter Randy Couture did pretty well fighting in his 40s he did but you know he fought he had a title I think he won his first title in his 30s if I'm not mistaken and he did well and it certainly can happen but you know Randy Couture is one of a kind for a reason he also wasn't taking the kind of damage that Glover has for the last 10, 15 years. Cause Randy Couture was just wrestling where Glover's, you know, has seven losses. I don't know how many of those are knockouts, but he's in a long MMA career taking a lot of damage, which I think sometimes we look at the age too much and don't worry about the miles, but I think the miles here, three knockouts. Yep. Glover, Glover. 33 and seven, 18 knockout wins, 10 submissions, five decisions. And his seven losses, three have been KO losses. Yeah, you know, even if you don't even look at the losses, just think about how much damage he's taken in training over it. He turned pro in 2002. You know, like, that's a long time to be getting hit in the head, getting beat up, living that life. Like, I think that's a little bit different than a guy like Couture, who is just a wrestler. I shouldn't say just a wrestler. I don't mean that as a pejorative, but someone who wasn't getting punched in the head on a regular basis for the first 20 years of his adult life or whatever it has been for Glover. And and plus... Fighting change, I mean, do you think, could this be a changing of the guard from the old stallions to maybe these younger, more, younger, more knockout artists? Yeah, it's certainly what it feels like. And not that Glover doesn't have power, you know, like he's, he's hit some people hard. He's dropped a lot of people in his career. I think it started to wane a little bit down the stretch here. But yeah, you know, if, if Yuri wins here and maybe we see Ankaliyev beat Anthony Smith and one of those guys is the next title fight. Do we see some of these younger guys holding on to the belt for a long time? I think we do. It's probably Blackowitz probably has one more title fight in him at the top of the 205. And if he doesn't get that, then I think it is kind of a changing of the guard for this next wave of light heavyweights coming in. Can't wait to see this fight. So uh, the next fight we're going to talk about, we already, we've already seen this fight once. It was a couple years ago. I believe it was the last UFC pay-per-view before the COVID pay- shutdown in 2020. And that is, uh, let me see, Jane Welly against Joanna. Oh, God. Young J. Chick. Joanna what? Young J. Chick. Young it's not Chick. pronounced anything like it said. Because these Polish names are ridiculous. In one of the craziest female fights we've ever seen, it was a five-round classic that Jing won. That Jing won in a split decision for the Starway belt. Now there's no bell on the line here, but to me, I've I can't wait to see this fight. On Saturday night, I think there's going to be a lot of action. I think there's going to be a lot of excitement. 
and be honest, somebody sent him to canvas this time. You I don't agree? know about that. I think they're both so durable that there was – I actually just recently rewatched their first fight yesterday, and there were stats popping up during the fight all the time, like most ever strikes thrown between two fighters in the first round or first 10 minutes or whatever. But they're both just so durable that, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. It is kind of a shame that it's only three rounds this time. You know, I, I understand because this pay-per-view would go about nine hours if we had a third five-round fight. But it would be interesting to see what happened because Joanna came on, I think, really strong in the later rounds of those fights after having a rough early going. So I think that favors Zhang a little bit. Just I think she's the better three-round fighter. And also just the fact that, you know, Zhang's had two fights since then. One was a knockout loss to Rose Nama Yunus. One was a split decision loss. But Ioana's just been sitting on the sideline since then. I don't think it does her any favors at this point to just be coming back to make her return against Zhang. With that said, should be a fairly close fight. You know, the first one was extremely tough to judge. There's a lot of action, but it was pretty two-sided in most of those rounds. So I'm excited for this one. Really wish it was a five-round fight. If it was a five-round fight, it would almost certainly make my DFS lineup. With it only being three rounds with some of the other options, I'm not sure that that's the case this time. But, you know, that's a later-in-the-week decision for me. Could this be more, could this be more of a fight where you want one of the fight where maybe not for us because you're, because you're in a tournament with 69 on the players. I'm usually a cash player, cash player or play some satellites. Maybe this is more of a lineup where you, if you were like splitting, you might have half Joanna and half Shane. Because this feels like a fight where if you've got the winner, she's going to put up a huge amount of points. Yeah, that that was my initial read. And, you know, I was looking at the total stats and stuff for the three-round – or for the five-round fight. I don't know if that's the case with it being three rounds. I think you can reasonably not play this fight and not – I wouldn't call it a mistake. It might end up being wrong, but I don't think it's a mistake to fade this one. Just because if, you know, Zhang performs as the betting odds would have you believe she does – and gets the win at 8,800 she's got to do a lot and three rounds isn't nearly as much time as she had before I'm checking the score right now but in her last fight she only scored 104 points in a five-round decision win over Ioana and again that's five rounds so if we cut two rounds off of that could she win but not end up in the best lineups I think she almost certainly could and then she's also a little pricey so you know for tournament plays and stuff this week which I'm not sure I'm even going to do just given what I got going on I think Ioana is probably the better play because if she wins at all, she's definitely going to be in the optimal lineup as cheap as she is. And it's not that crazy to think she actually drops Wiley with one of her shots that she landed like last time. So she's probably the better tournament play for cash games. I'm strongly considering Jang. I just don't know if I can pay the 8,800 on a slate where there's not a lot of cheap fighters that I really like. Yeah. we Yeah. And in the next fight, which is the, uh, which is the uh, win another championship fight between Valentin Shemchenko oh, and Tyler Ty Santos. I hope I got that name right, Tyler Santos. Why are you giving me the tough names this week? <coughs> uh, we see ultimately not just one of the best, but maybe the best female fighters in the world. A man in Nunez might have something to say about it, but we'll save it for another episode. But uh, Zinchenko feels like the queen of the hundred and is this hundred and twenty-five pound division, right? Yep. One twenty-five. 
And uh, does Santos have any chance to pull off another monumental upset? Because seemingly there have been more upsets on the women's side than, than ever because Nunez lost last December and then we saw Carla beat Rose at the last UFC pay-per-view. Could, could there be more ups? Could there be another shocker in Singapore? Or will yeah, it, I, or I'm interested in that angle on this one. You know, we've seen it way back when with uh, Ronda Rousey's first loss. She was like a minus 1,000 favorite, and it seemed like no one was ever going to beat her. But if we've learned anything, it's that, you know, these long title reigns eventually do come to an end. And someone comes in and just, you know, usually with a big upset, puts it to, an, you know, GSP finally lost and all these guys. Pretty much everyone other than John Jones has just beat himself. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't shock me. This is one, you know, the tournament I'm in is basically a cash game like you usually play. This is one where I think I'm just going to play both of them and not worry about it. You know, Shevchenko has some stopping power, but Santos has never been stopped, and she's great on the ground. If you look at Shevchenko's finishes, you're seeing ground and pound, elbows from crucifix, ground and pound from crucifix, stuff like that. I don't think she's going to work Talia, Tyla like that if it gets to the ground so should Shevchenko be the favorite absolutely she's probably going to win but I think this is one where Santos could put up a good fight and get kind of a moral victory here even if she doesn't win but also is the cheapest fighter on the slate from a DFS standpoint I think she almost certainly lives up to her salary at the very least yeah to me we've seen and you mentioned to me a couple of times that like female fights are tough are tough because there's not always a lot of excitement of course the last fight we talked about did bring plenty of excitement two years ago but to me Zinchenko feels like more of a safe fighter she doesn't feel like the most aggressive female and if this fight can and this fight goes four or five rounds, or even the stitch, maybe. Even if Santos loses this fight at 60, what is it? 6,600. 6, 6, if she put up 50, 60 points in a loss, that's not that, that's not going to kill you. You can't have the main, you can't have the main event fighters scoring two points for you because hashtag that happened to me last week and we know what happened. Right. And that's why, you know, we talk about it. I, for those that don't know, I do a podcast with the Action Network where we cover UFC type stuff. And that's when we talk about all the time. And my co-host there really tipped me off to it. But if you look at the stoppage odds on a lot of these female fights, they're overwhelmingly likely to go to a decision. So if you're looking for an underdog for a cash game where you just need some points, you know, you're not expecting them to put up a huge performance, but you just need some points. I want the underdog that's going to be in there for 15 or if we're lucky, 25 minutes, just because she's bound to rack up some kind of scoring here. And, you know, I honestly do think Santos has a better shot than people are giving her credit for. I don't have a lot of good reasons other than like gut feeling. And this just seems to happen, as you pointed out, specifically with female fighters. But, you know, everyone's reign comes to an end at some point. And I'm just going to make it easy on myself and probably play both of them for cash games. You know, we usually want to play both five-round fighters when there's only one. It's a little bit trickier when there's two five-round fights on the card. But with the Glover-Yeri fight just being so much more likely to end early, which means one of them has a disappointing score, this is the one where I prefer playing both of them. Agree, particularly when one of them is so enormously priced and one of them is so cheap, you've got to find value somewhere because you know somebody's going to win. 
one of these early fights is going to end in a knockout and you need that fighter. And then you're going to need somebody in the main event because if you get a five-round fight and both fighters are landing haymakers and putting up big scores, well, then you're going to need both fighters then. Yeah, and this is another one where it's good to consider the weight classes. If you look at basically the heavier the weight class is between whether it's male or female, the less total strikes and total volume there is, but the more points come from knockdowns, knockouts, and stuff like that. But when there's volume is how you're scoring the points. That means both fighters are scoring more or less, unless one fighter is just, you know, eating it the whole time. But when it's one fighter gets most of their points from a knockout, that means that the other fighter usually has a pretty disappointing score. So if we're going to stack fighters like that in the same fight, we usually want smaller fighters and fighters with higher volume numbers. And, you know, Shevchenko actually doesn't throw that much volume. Obviously she has great finishing ability, especially relative to the rest of the division. And Santos has a little bit above that average volume really aggressive grappling and good power for her own right. So it's a good one. I think, I think it's going to produce a lot of total points. I'm not sure exactly how they'll be distributed, but I don't want to have to worry about it. Yeah. I'm going to kick back and just enjoy my scorecard because if I get, I mean, let's just say what be, what would be a good score for this fight? If you were playing a cat, a casual your tournament would, would you take 170 from this fight? Between the two of them? Yeah. Oh, if I could get 140 or so between the two of them, I'd be real happy. Because if you get an average of 70 points a fighter, that's putting you over 420 on the slate, which usually wins most cash games. So, yeah, that's that's about what I look at, is if I can get 140 between the two of them in a fight, I think I'll take it. Yeah, because usually it's like 415, 420 that I catch and cash. Uh... And it depends on the number of fights on the card and how they end up going, but... <laughs> you know, Santos only scored 30 in her only UFC loss, which was a split decision, but that was three rounds. So if you figure that's 10 points per round, could she get to 50 in a loss against Shevchenko? That's not crazy. And then if it goes five rounds, Shevchenko is almost always scoring in the triple digits with a win. So, you know, 140, 150, I think that's a strong possibility if we see a decision. And this one is currently minus 120 to go to a decision. So a slight favorite to go to a decision. We like that. <laughs> we like that. We like long fights when they are championship fights. You know, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer it to be minus 200, minus 300. And if it were a three-round fight, it probably would be, you know. But if we get three or four rounds out of Santos at her salary and she puts up 10 points per round, you can live with that too. Yep. Compared to, like, you know, a Glover loss, which could be knocked out within three minutes, and he scores two points like Rosenstreich last week. Oh, loss, a Yuri loss when he scored – where he's taken he, down right away and submitted. And, where he submitted, Liam Nickett choked, or Conor McGregor against uh, Cowboy Cerrone, which lasts, what, five seconds? Well, last right. what, eight seconds? That's just so much less likely to happen with these female fights, which is honestly another reason there's a high degree of safety in both Zhang and Young Jacek in the featured main event bout, too. But with that only being three three rounds you just don't quite have the ceiling or the upside that you do out of Shevchenko and Santos okay so uh, as you may not have known my Billy is competing in the uh, could you explain the contest that you're in where you with you're one of 70 people competing for the I think it's is it the MMA world championship or correct yeah, so the only way to get in is to win a qualifier, which uh, 
I won like the second or third one and then played a little bit after that, but ended up with only one ticket and it's a three round process. So in round one, which is this weekend, 70 entrants compete, 30 move through to the next round. Round two, 30 entrants compete, and then the final 10 move on. In the last round, they actually are going to fly us out to Dallas for the UFC pay-per-view there at the end of July. And it has 100 grand to first place. I think everyone who makes the final 10 makes like 10 grand and up. So it's interesting, though, because this first round is effectively a cash game. If you guys play like the $50 double ups, those are 68 entrances and 30 cash. This is 70 and 30 cash, so a hair tighter than the standard cash game on DraftKings, but pretty much that. Then, you know, the next one is a triple up. It's one out of every three people make through. And then the final one is a 10 person GPP. So it's going to, you know, really test everyone in it on how to adapt their strategy for those different types of contests. And unfortunately, it's all people who've won a tournament to get here in the first place. So it's going to be a pretty tough field. It's not like, you know, 69 other random people that I'm playing against, but it'll be interesting. I think, you know, Dylan and I always talk about cash games and we're two of the very few people that really like MMA cash games. So I think that puts me in a good spot this first week, but we'll see. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, I mean, do you know how many of these players do you actually know? Or are they just people people who just got lucky? Or are these actually the MMA DFS grinders? There, there's a lot of big names on there. Like, I'm sure everyone who plays DFS is familiar with Osimo. He's got a couple. Uh, Hoop2410, who actually lives relatively close to me um, here in Michigan. He's, he's another, like, big-name DFS guy. A lot of them are real big names in DFS, but I don't think they're necessarily MMA specialists. Uh, I think Ship My Money, Adam Shearer on Twitter, anyone follows him, has a seat or two, McLovin, like a lot of those big names and recognizable people that are just winning all the tournaments. I do think there's a few of us that are more MMA people versus just DFS people. It'll probably be an edge because, you know, Osimo has 100 grand winnings like every weekend. It's no big deal to him. So yeah. for someone like me where that 100 grand means a lot more, and, you know, I'm an MMA specialist. I think there's an edge there. But I am sure that some of the people in there just kind of made a lineup on their phone one day and it happened to win the qualifier, and here they are. So I'm sure it'll be a good mix. It'll be interesting to see who the final 10 is, and hopefully I'm one of them and get to meet these people in person. Uh, how much do the top 30 – how much do the top 30 who, who advance this week get? Because I heard you tell me they get – Everybody who makes it through this week gets like a couple grand. So the minimum prize this week is two grand. So if you finish 61st through 70, you get two grand. And I think it's three if you're in the 50s and four if you're in the 40s or 30s. I don't know exactly. I'd have to look it up. But I know everyone that makes it through this round gets at least 5K. But you don't get paid out until you lose, basically, or the very last round. So it's a minimum, I believe, of 5K if you make it through this round. And then the final 10, it's either like 7,500 or 10 grand minimum with 100K to first place. So obviously shooting for first, but I would be very happy if I made it to that final 10 and got to go sit front row to UFC while sweating out, you know, a huge contest. Yeah, and hoping your fighters all win because then if your fighters all win, not only, not only do you probably have bets on them, but you could rake in the chips too. Well, honestly, if I'm making it to the final 10, <coughs> I'm probably going to bet against every fighter I have just as a hedge. Reverse jinx, always win. Not even, not even that. I just want to make sure I walk away with some money, you know? So if you throw a couple hundred bucks on the opponent of each of your fighters, either you get the fantasy points or you get paid out right away. Because, <laughs> you know, 
and at this point in my life, 100K would be a huge amount of money. So, you know, I'd rather have a better shot at making 90 than a worse shot at making 100 if you anyone follows the math on that one. Yeah. So, um, with a lot of DFS guys, you know, Osmo's got some kind of wheel optimizer. You know, all the ship my money place on Osmo's got an optimizer. To me, one thing I've noticed when playing DFS is all the eye is how people optimize lineups and what what optimizer is the best to use. Maybe not for UFC, but in general, because I've used fantasy lambs, I've used all small. I think they've got different strengths, different weaknesses, but what optimizes the best to use? Well, one thing before I jump into that too much, we need to make a distinction between whether we're using someone's projections or actually the optimizer tool. Because I think the optimizer tool, there are various strengths and weaknesses, and it the vast majority of the time is going to come down to a personal preference because they all do more or less the same things. I definitely prefer fantasy labs, but the only thing I really ever do mass lineups for is MMA. And I'm really familiar with how to make those do what I want. But if you're making a couple of lineups or even 10 or 20, and you're doing that by hand, it's really not the optimizer that matters. It's the projections. So, you know, the projections are interesting. It's real tricky for MMA. I've got a math background, but the way that MMA fight, scoring is distributed is a lot different than it is for most sports just because so much of the scoring is tied up in the win and i think you know most of the most of the optimizers or the projections we're looking at just really base it heavily off the vegas lines where guys like you and i who follow the sport real closely understand where there's some weaknesses in that so i know i'm not directly answering your questions but i am a fantasy labs employee so i'm just going to throw that out there that at least for MMA, I swear by the Fantasy Labs one. Like, I qualified for this contest with a lineup I would not have hand-built, but the Fantasy Labs optimizer built for me. And it it still comes down to what you're able to do with it and how you can bend the rules of the optimizer. But we just need to make sure we're distinguishing between the optimizer tool itself or the projections that feed into it. Yeah, I mean... I think it also varies if, like, if you've got a formula, because if you're doing, like, 150 NFL classic entries, that's where the that's where the optimizer will help you because of you can, like, program the optimizer and find little nuances there. Show, I find with Showdown, it is very hard for somebody, for just one person to win because I've tried to do optimizers for, like, the Super Bowl or like yeah. the first open NFL season opener and nobody's winning up right. I heard, I think there were like 10 or 12 people who shared the game one in the NBA finals, DK Millionaire last week. So uh, optimizers are fun. And uh, I think that, I think there are all some tidbits to learn from them. Well, and you got to keep in mind with stuff like that, where just not getting duplicated is such a big issue that other people are using that optimizer too. Nobody built this optimizer just for you, whoever you are listening. So unless you really go out of your way to control for that, you're going to get duplicated in like big stuff like that. I don't really like those kind of contests. <clears throat> and we run into that a little bit for MMA. If you look at like those, you know, $15, 100K to first contest, like especially on smaller cards, those get chopped a lot. But if you're playing the smaller style tournaments that I like to do, it's not as much of a concern. And I just really like the labs optimizer because I can set rules for I want 
either fighter A or fighter B or two out of these three and stuff like that. And, and that's where I can really create some of those groupings that I want, that I'm confident in, and then let the optimizer fill in with fighters that I probably wouldn't have got to on my own. Because there's some fighters that, for whatever reason, you just aren't thinking about or you aren't getting there. And that's, I think, the value in an optimizer versus just doing it yourself when you're like, oh, I really like him, but then you're clicking him in every lineup. And if he has a bad night, then you're kind of out of luck. Yeah. Well, like last week, because the optimizer really liked one of the guys in the main event, but he ended up getting two points. Is that because I did? Is that because the optimizer was bad or I got unlucky with the main event fighter last week? Well, and that's tricky, especially if you're using it for cash games, but usually the underdog main events, the underdog, honestly, even the favorites as well. When one fight on the card lasts 60% longer in theory than the other ones, the medium projections on those guys is always going to be higher because if it goes to a decision, there's just going to be so many more points than if those two guys had only fought three rounds. But that doesn't mean that that's always going to happen or that it's even likely to happen. So that's where, you know, sometimes you just have to suck it up and say, hey, I'm taking a stand on Jairzinho Rosenstroik. And if he has a good day, I'm going to have a good day. And if he has a bad day, I'm not winning any tournaments this week. So that's like the biggest. So oh, go ahead. So it wasn't that I did wrong, that I did anything wrong. It's just maybe one of those weeks. Yeah, and we have to keep in mind that, you know, the optimizer is fed by whatever projections. And at least with Fantasy Labs, you can upload any projections you want. Like, if you just wanted to make your own spreadsheet with how many points you thought everyone was going to score and then put it in there and let the optimizer work, you absolutely could do that. But just speaking to the projections, they're always going to be skewed higher on the five-round fighters. But that's why I like to look at things like, you know, the odds for this fight to end inside the distance. Just because we know if this one ends inside the distance, one of those two is most likely going to have a bad score. So, you know, I did a video on how to use the labs optimizer for MMA. And one of the things I said is you kind of just have to accept that unless you're doing 150 lineups and covering all your bases, there's going to be weeks where you take a stand on a guy and he has a terrible day. And you're just not going to win those weeks. But you're not going to win most weeks anyway. Like if you win, you know, one big tournament a year, you're doing great. So that's just, it's just part of the game. It's a high variance. DFS is high variance enough. And then when we add a high variance sport like MMA into it, you know, no one's going to win every time. All right. So thank you, Billy. We wish you well. And hopefully we'll see, hopefully we'll see you in the big, we'll see you in the big D late July. Yeah. And um, anyone who follows me on Twitter, it's psychoward586. I will be tweeting out the contest link. Anyone wants to sweat along live with me, the uh, first round of this finale. Oh, I'll be I'll be sweating with you here. <laughs> so you know, I'm not too sure who's going to be in my lineups yet, but come Saturday night after lock, we'll all get to see. And you know, I've I've obviously hinted at it a little bit on my strategy with the two title fights, but beyond that, it's still very much up in the air. So it'll be exciting.